Welcome to the Revenue Accelerators Podcast, a show featuring B2B sales and business leaders. Hosted by Excelogy founder and 19-year sales veteran with leadership experience in strategic enterprise and telecom sales, Deep Trikonod. This show uncovers strategies and techniques business leaders have used to go from zero to one and beyond. If you enjoy this content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Accelerators is brought to you by Excelogy. We help B2B sales leaders improve sales performance by leveraging our patent-pending data-driven sales coaching systems. Find us at www.excelogy.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining yet another episode of Revenue Accelerators. Today with me, I have Jake Stahl of Jake Stahl Consulting. Thank you, Jake, for, for taking a few minutes to speak with us. Can you tell us a little bit about who is Jake Stahl first and foremost? And then, then kind of I'll ask about like, what do you do with Jake Stahl Consulting? Fantastic. And Deep, I want to first thank you. It's such an honor to be here. I've listened to a bunch of your episodes and, and it's just fascinating. So thank you for having me. First thank of all. you. I'm honored. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So a little bit about me. Um, I'm a training and development guy. I do a lot of fractional chief learning officer, uh, positions for companies where if they can't necessarily afford to have a full training department, I kind of go in and, and I get them set up and then I walk away. Um, my experience with training development really comes with a fascination of just the human psychology, how we learn, how we're conditioned to learn. Uh, I've been around for a little while, about 30 years. I've trained in six different countries, probably over 10,000 people, written wow. 100 plus courses. And at one point deep in my history, I won an international award for instructional design out of a thousand global participants. It, it was, it was really cool. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, That's exciting. I'll, 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 we'll, we'll table that for a quick second, but I'll, I'll definitely um, dig in on that. So, so learn, so fractional learning, like how is that different than any other fractional anything? CRO, CMO, fractional C-suite. I'm glad you asked. Um, a lot of times you get a, a chief revenue officer and their job is to really hone in the sales team, how many calls they need to make, how many yep. closes they have to have, warm leads, et cetera. I kind of step outside of that. They tell me what we need in the way of closing, conversions, uh, how many warm leads need to go to hot leads. And what I do is I come in and take over from there. So I train them on how to sell. I create an onboarding program for new salespeople who come on board. And then I set up continuous learning education programs for those reps to continually upskill themselves. And I do leadership courses for sales managers. So I'm not the one telling them how to do it. I'm kind of just in there saying, here's how to make what you do just a lot better. I love it. Okay. So, so, so you don't have a, necessarily a kind of a preconceived notion of what they should be doing different to be better. You kind of go in and you get the lay of the land. You there's a, there's an analysis component of the service that you deliver that is tailor fit for the organization. Am I am I getting that right? You're exactly right. And it's not only tailor fit for the organization, but it's tailor fit for the demographics they serve. So we look at ages, we look at locations, is it nationwide, is it local? And we do a lot of localization fittings. And what I mean by that is how you sell in San Francisco is, is distinctly different than how you sell in New York City. 
So we talk about linguistics terminology that's going to be better suited. So instead of a smiling dial and you go for like one hit out of every 100, I actually teach you how to make it more, I can't give you any guaranteed numbers, but I like to raise the percentages for people. I love it. Um, I got to be honest when, um, you know, so, so for those listening, um, I, I found Jake online, um, on the sales side, right? So revenue accelerators is the title of the podcast. I look for sales leaders. Um, and that was my interpretation, right? And then Jake comes in and he's like, I do fractional learning and development. I was like, uh oh, this is, this is going to go off the rails real fast. <laughs> and, and, then, well, and then I'm glad you brought it back to like, oh yeah, learning and development for sales reps, for sales teams and so on, which makes a boatload of sense. So thank you. Sorry. My, I, for a little bit, I was like, uh oh. Oh, no, no. It, it, it's just funny, Deep, because I've been in sales a long time. I was number one in sales for several companies I worked for, and it, it was never about the product and, and how much of a genius you are with the product. It's just about how you converse with people. We think about sales so differently. We say one in a hundred will close and, and one in a thousand will buy the super high ticket. But we don't do that in real life. We don't say to make a friend, I need to canvas 30 people. And to find a spouse, which is one in a million, I have to date a million people. And yet we all approach sales like that. And it doesn't have to be that way. Interesting. I love it. Um, okay. So, so how did you, how did you come to this? This, what you're delivering with Jake Stahl Consulting in this kind of learning? Cause when you first said learning and development, I was like, wait, is this an HR function? But clearly it's not. It's to, to benefit sales organizations. Um, but how did you? How did you identify this is where this is the value that Jake Stahl can add? Like, how did you come to this? Yeah, this was uh, this was a hard earned lesson. When I first started getting into sales, I, I was a smiler and dialer. I was uh, for a company that promoted magazine sales for a local organization. And I remember reading my first script and getting on the phone and I would just roll over people. I'm going to read oh, yeah. my script. You're going to get it top to bottom, whether you like it or not. Yep. And uh, I wasn't a great performer. <laughs> so I had a similar, I think my first sales job in high school was selling knives. Cut go <laughs> once upon a time. Um, and you get that script and you feel so secure about it. And it yeah. just, it, it fails you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I remember actually, so that was my first, I, I didn't do, do that for very long because that was miserable. Um, I think, but, but to your point about like being a, a kind of a train, um, and going through my first, so I was, uh, we were talking about this earlier. Um, I started my career in engineering, but then moved to sales engineering via professional services. And so now I'm customer facing, um, but a sales engineer, I didn't carry my own bag. I didn't actually, I wasn't, um, managing or orchestrating meetings. And so what you describe of that first experience, my first, Soiree from sales engineer to sales rep. I actually asked my head of sales, Hey, can I, can I try to be a sales rep? And they're like, sure. Here's this podunk account that we don't care if you lose, go get it. My first meeting with this small, tiny company, they had like a, their cafeteria table is the table of their conference room. Right. And so, um, no screens or anything. I, and I'm presenting on my laptop, which is the best, the best scenario for me, actually, because. So as a sales engineer, I knew how to actually converse and, and present, but as a sales rep where I have to drive the strategy of the story and kind of the story arc and deliver that myself rather than just come in and talk through the technology slide. Um, so I did that. I created that slide, felt pretty good about it, go into the meeting. 
And around slide number three, maybe four, the, the prospect stops me and asks me a question about the slide, which is not, the answer is not on the slide, but just a question that he, that he started thinking about. I, I turn, because we're, we're both looking at my screen, I turn over, look at him in, in his eyes, for a, I stare at him for about five, seven seconds, maybe 10 seconds, and then just completely ignore the question and continue to the next slide. <laughs> <laughs> the best way to solve it is to avoid it. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's I I get that I totally get. Sorry, so I didn't mean to, to take oh, to, to take your thunder, but um, I love hearing your sales stories. <laughs> yeah. So all right. So learning and development. Um, the way that you came to it, I interrupted you so rudely. You had that that experience dialing for dollars, and then what? Well, and I'm a curious person, and I tend to go down a million rabbit holes. So if I like something, I will spend years on it. And that's what I wound up doing. And oddly enough, uh, I started studying psychology a lot more. It's what my degree is in from college. And there was a psychologist, his name was B.F. Skinner. And his primary hypothesis was there is no such thing as free will. We are just one big human flesh sack of preconceived notions and preconditioned things that we go through in life meaning that we tend to repeat decisions that have yielded us good results in the past. Mm. So if a sales rep calls and I say, not interested in hang up, that's what I've always done. Feels that's good, people. solves it. But after a while deep, we never, we never move beyond that. It has worked, so we use it. My job is to help reps understand those preconditioned responses and help get by them. Oh, that's great. You're absolutely right. I never considered it that way, actually. Um, but you're absolutely right. We're, we're programmed by ourselves. Like, exactly. our own experience is positive feedback loop, then feed the next experience, which turns out to be positive, which feed it again. And yep. fast forward 30 years, we don't make new friends. <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah that that's exactly it and when i followed that and started to think about it i thought people are preconceived they have preconceived notions even when the phone rings yes. oh it's oh. the time the phone rings i already know this is going to be bad nobody thinks when the phone rings hey this is great news we're preconditioned to feel a lot of different things i help reps understand how to break that conditioning so that conversations can open up and there can be a lot of trust building. That's so great. Um, and so many of us need that. I need that personally. I mean, um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I actually have another anecdote for that. Um, this, this idea of preconceived notion, um, again, early, my first sa actual sales gig. So, so the story I told you uh, offline around, or actually, no, even this one about me getting into sales, I was technically a sales engineer at the time during that one time where I just stared in the prospect's eyes and kept going. My first official job as a sales rep, the interview process was a mistake because I look, this is back when the Nokia brick phone, like, you know, we, oh, yeah. there's once upon a time, I think most of us were able to remember our, our, our friends cell phone numbers and number right. home numbers. And I don't remember any of it, but during that time, I didn't have any friends in, in San Francisco area except for one guy. And he had a 415 number. And I just presumed, I didn't look at the other seven digits. I saw 415 come in and presumed it's my buddy from childhood, picked oh, up the no. phone, so warm, so like welcoming and like nice and affectionate. And was like, hey, uh -huh. how are you doing? Like so happy to hear his, get his phone call. 
Turns out it was the hiring manager for my next, um, my next job because I applied for a sales engineering role. But that whole experience kind of like, it's, it's funny because when he was like, oh, no, this is not, you know, my friend, this is the hiring manager from AT&T at the time. And, he was, and I was like, oh, but my, my persona already launched into that persona. So I couldn't re- exactly. like rewind it back into the formal. Right. Like, yep. I'm just going to go with it. Let's, I'm already here. Let's just go. And I, I genuinely believe that that experience led me because he, he had this guy, this hiring manager had both the sales engineers, um, the pre-sales engineers and the, and the sales execs on his team. And I applied for a pre-sales engineering role. The ultimate offer I got, even though I thought I was interviewing the entire time for a pre-sales engineering role, because of that persona that I kind of fronted, the facade that yeah. I gave him, he was like, the the offer letter I got was for a sales exec role rather than a sales engineering role. I thought it was a mistake, but he was like, right. no, that's, that's legit. I think you'd be great at sales. And then I realized, all right, so, so that persona worked for sales. I just got to figure out how to act and get to that point. I mean, now it's been, like I said, almost 20 years, but, but your, but your perspective of, um, this, this we're kind of conditioned to, and it's, and I, I think it comes from a, a, a need to save time. I think the I older agree. we get, we, we, we all recognize we, I don't have as much time as I used to have. And, um, even though like I'm soon, like I'm not soon to be an empty nester, I have two kids, one's in college. So I'm half an empty nester at this point, but I didn't get any time back. I don't feel like I got time back because one kid left the house. And so that, that notion of saving time is like, oh, this is a number I don't recognize. 99.999% chance. It's not going to help me. I'm going to hang up. I'm not going to answer that phone. And, and to add to that deep, what about the phone numbers that you know is a person who constantly asks you for things? Yeah. It oh, yeah. Like a caller ID and you're like, oh, I'm not talking to this guy. hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah. And we know because we're preconditioned that if we just ignore it, sometimes they go away. So now you take that to the sales rep. They know everything about every product. Their technical knowledge is beyond reproach. Yep. They have no control over the conditioning on the other end of that phone. So when they pick up and they're going home ready to go and that other person is like, great, a salesperson. They're fighting perhaps 50 years of preconceived hatred for salespeople and no sales pitch is going to get by that. Oh, yeah, because they're already and then because of it's an unknown number, they're already kind of in guarded mode. They're already in that position. Yep. And, you know, gatekeepers dread the ring of the phone anyway. Yeah. So we discuss that and we talk about how to get by things like perception. And we talk about how to change the the tone on a call when they pick up, how to make the initial first call. So again, we're not looking at hoping we hit one out of a hundred. We look at knowing we're going to hit one out of a hundred and then reproducing that to two out of a hundred and then three. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah, one out of a hundred is the average, but that does imply that you, like there are some that get three out of a hundred and some right. that get zero. But what's really talked about is is how they get there. People can espouse it's what they know, and I would espouse it. It's a lot different than that. It's how you converse. It's how you build a relationship, and then it's what you know. And do you find that that's something you can teach? Yeah, absolutely. I. 
I actually have something I, I developed called the Adaptive Conversational Blueprint, and I'm certainly not stumping for that. But I've used it with companies over the years, and uh, I've had companies go up to 3x sales using it, and I've had customer service teams increase their feedback scores by as much as one and a half stars using it. It's not difficult to learn, but it's so much different than how we've been conditioned to talk to each other. For instance, you have two kids. You remember when they were like five and six? Mm-hmm. Their conversations. Oh, there was, right? I have four That's kids, so I remember oh, wow. it well. But you remember their conversations? I'm, I'm five. How old are you? Yep. It's my mom. Which one is your mom? Yeah. It's a great back and forth. From the time we're born, we're great conversationalists. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, we lose it. And we That's start to get our own conditioning. Now, granted, you're a great conversationalist, and a lot of people are great conversationalists, but I've found that reps want people to like them, and that's awesome, but how do you get people to like you? And that's the heart of what I teach. Interesting. I, I do, I do. in you know, full transparency, I'm, I'm definitely one of those reps that have the need for people to like them, for sure, 100%. Well, me too? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's exactly. I was, right? I was, I was, yeah. In fact, I was, uh, it was, it was made known to me that someone else noticed that. And I was like, I can't hide. That's that, that I, I had to own up to it on a call. I'm like, yeah, that's me though. I'm, I'm that way. I have. So now I've got full, full embracing of, yes, I have the need for people to like me. It is what it is. Yeah. And I think that's natural. But when I coach other fractional people, the first thing they say is I hate selling myself and, and I have a desperate need to be liked. Well, until you get beyond that, it, it's going to be a difficult road. Yeah, because sometimes you got to say no. In fact, the sooner right. you say no, the better off. 100%. Um, One of your other guests made a great point. Uh, I was listening to it today. They made the great point about how you need to get them to understand that there is a no possibility, that we may not be a great fit for each other. Yep. And 100%. I think that was brilliant to say. It's It's so true. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you focus like how do you convince a sales organization that you're a great fit for them? Meaning, do you talk? Do you kind of go bottom up? Do salespeople find you and they're like, "Hey, Jake, I need your help personally because I need to get to the next level. I'm a mediocre rep, and I don't like being a mediocre rep. I want to move up." Or do you tend to go top down, where you work with kind of sales leaders? Um, that run an organization, have a team of 30, 40, 50, 100 people, and they're like, hey, Jake, I need you to come in and kind of just turn my place upside down and fix it from the ground up. Like, how does, or does it both? Or do you have a, like, are there verticals that you work on, like finance, healthcare, whatever? Or is, does, is it all, like, where do you prioritize? That's a good question. I actually go to both areas. A lot of what I do is approach the top down. And honestly, my persuasion speech is not, I'm going to sell you an awesome product because it may not be awesome for them. Yeah. So we do a feel back and forth. I use a lot of conversational techniques I've come up with over the years or I've read about that have worked in social psychology. And when we're done with the conversation, they say, so what are you pitching? What's your product? It's like, you've already heard it. Yeah. We had an open conversation. We went back and forth. I got to know you. You got to know me. And I think if you tell me about a lot of your sales reps, you're going to tell me that that's not happening right now. And then how do you measure? Like, how do you, how do you follow up? Meaning, so let's say, so you get out there. Sorry, let me, let me set the stage. Okay. So, yeah. so you get out there, you kind of t talk to them just like you did with me and us on, on, you know, listening in about 
what you do to help people. You kind of get them in a mindset. You set the expectation of what they're going to get, right? And how, and how they're going to have to interact with you. But then once they've bought in and they, they take your first session, your second session, you mentioned early on that, that you do follow up with them to kind of make sure they're on track. Their trajectory is in fact, like, how do you do that? Is there, you just have like monthly, quarterly follow-ups? Do you like, how do you go about doing that? It's kind of a staggered approach. So once we offer the program and we walk people through it, we then do follow-up visits once a week. And we do follow-up visits to make sure that they're not hitting any significant gaps that might fester during the one-month time period and gap where we've taught. So we'll follow up weekly. Once we know they're on good footing, which is showed by increase in sales, increase in conversions, uh, increase in sets, then we start to move it out to a monthly basis. And once we do that, then I work with the company and we decide whether I'm needed anymore. Sometimes I'm just kept on retainer and we do email and text or an occasional phone conversation. And I have a couple of organizations that just, we have an open line and the rep can call me anytime with a scenario. Once you learn it, it's hard to unlearn it, but it is a distinct differentiation between the way we normally communicate and the way I teach people to communicate. So when you go top down, like if you can, if you're, if you're okay sharing, like how, what's, what's the range of sales organizations that you tend to work with? Is it like 20, roughly 20 to 50 in that range? Is it 2000 to 10,000? Like how does it, how does it work? How do you apply your knowledge? I worked with all sizes, especially when I was trying to get into this. Like I've worked with Fortune 500 companies, but the problem with that is they're often not open to it. They're already firmly ingrained in what they're doing and they'll entertain it, but then they drop it after a couple of weeks. It's kind of like being handed a new sales book and you read it and you try it and you can't do it so great. So you kind of say, okay, that's on the shelf. Yeah, I'm going to try something else. <laughs> I've done that dozens of times. <laughs> uh, so the way I approach it is usually I go with a company that's anywhere from 10 to 200 and okay. people that have found that their sales are really, they're just leveling off. So the honeymoon period of having a new product to sell is ramming up against constant no, no, no. Uh, and at that point, their sales kind of trail off. And this is especially true with startups, right? Yeah. So, so do you, so do you kind of tend, is it just, just the based on what you do and the size that you work with, does it tend to be a lot of like series A type seed, seed funded companies that are just starting out a sales organization? Yeah. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to startups, usually while they're still in default dead, mm -hmm. they usually call me in. It's when they hit default alive that usually takes a, a couple of years for them to level up and then they may call me back again. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So they've definitely like, they've exhausted all of their VC relationships and, and everything else. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Interesting. So then, okay. So, so let's say on the larger side, I'm kind of curious, have you run across a mature sales leader that, or rather not just any one single one, but like, I'm kind of curious on what the default stance is with respect to who needs Jake Stahl and who doesn't. Meaning there's a, there's a rep, there are reps in every organization where at least according to sales targets, they're at least a hundred percent consistently, which means they're right. not broke. They don't need fixing. It's everybody else. So, um, 
do you so run into do you run into that where like they tell you don't don't talk don't talk to bill over here he's good he doesn't need your help or or are they willing like how does that how does that where does that line get drawn that the demarcation between it's not broken don't fix it jake you need to work with these guys or is there no line i don't i'm kind of curious no, there's always that line. And I think it depends on the sales leader or the chief revenue officer. There are some people that have the, it's, it's not broken. Don't fix it. Just work with my news, pe- new people. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. I'm not here to argue with your goals or where you want to be. That's your job to guide that. And I'm respectful. Uh, but then I have other companies that's like, I have four people that have 23 plus years of experience. Uh, they're good at what they do, but they could be far better. So. I'd like you to come in and work with them and do what you can. I, I just had that back in June. I walked into a room of five people that all had 23 plus years sales experience at various organizations. And the company said, I need you to up their game. They're reliable, but we need more. So I run into it from both sides. So that's, that's interesting. So early in my career, after I got that sales job, after considering the hiring manager, one of my good buddies, or at least I faked it that way. Um, we went through a consultative selling course and I remember, and I was the youngest guy there. Everybody else, we were, I was at AT&T. So everybody else, you know, 20 plus years in sales. Right. And they, to, to, similar to your point, we're like the, 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 the knee jerk reaction to everybody in that room was this guy's not going to teach me anything. I don't know. Exactly. He's like I'm yep. wasting my time. My boss told me I had to be here. So whatever. And so the, the guy who got, got in to teach us this consultative selling, um, he basically, he basically asked for a favor. He was like, look, some of this you're going to know. I assure you some of it, you're not going to, but not knowing the difference of what you do, what you do know, and what you don't know and to, to actually get something out of this. I just need you to kind of give me good faith and just listen, just kind of be here, be present, right. participate. Right. Yeah. Help me out and, here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, some of it you're going to know, but but I found that interesting. For me, I didn't know any of it, so it was great. It was I actually found a, t- a ton of value in it. Um, but I do remember that that preconceived notion of like wasting my time. Come on, why do I need to be here? Right, and think of the conditioning that went into that. Right, you you got leery about it, and the reps were already doubting you. It's it's all preconditioning, yeah. and the idea to to train somebody or to get them beyond sales barriers is to break that conditioning. So you applied your own knowledge to that forum to break through with those 24, 25 year veterans in sales, I suspect. Yeah. And it was great. They've asked me back, which is wonderful because they're hiring new people, but yeah, it's, it's honestly very simple, deep. It's just that it's one of those things that, you know, when you look at a new invent invention that comes out, it's making millions and you think, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. It's really kind of along those lines. That's awesome. Um, do you have any, like, and usually I get into this a little bit earlier, we're coming up on time, but do you have any, um, any, I, I asked you before getting on, on the call, right? Is it, if you could bring a, bring a kind of a school of hard knocks anecdote in your sales travels, um, even with the, even with the fractional stuff or prior to something that, that you never forget. It's kind of like when you fall, when you face plant in front of all your friends while riding the skateboard, that's an, that's a moment in time that's like kind of like seared into your memory. So I have many of those, but do you have any, do you have any of those that you'd be willing to share in context of sales, of course? No, I'd love to. Um, I remember one of my first jobs was actually selling insurance 
And at that time, they booked it as you're a financial planner because you're selling annuities and things like that. So, you know, I was all up into myself. Hey, I'm a financial planner. Get out of my way. I know it all. Yeah. And I remember going to a client's house and we had this rigmarole we were supposed to talk about. And he was an older gentleman and we had sat on opposite sides of the, the kitchen table. And the chair I sat in had a little wall next to it and it, the table was right here. So I was sitting there. And at one point, he started asking questions, and he got super, super heated. And the more heated we got, he got, the less I remembered about anything. And there was a point where I'm sitting at the table. He's standing right in front of me, blocking my only exit out of anywhere. And my brain was just, I don't remember. You're going to need to reboot. And I just sat there dumbfounded. I must have sat there for 30, 40 seconds, maybe even longer, just not knowing what to say. Because oh, I relied so much on the script and what yeah. the company taught me that when we went outside the script, I was lost. I went home to my wife. I said, I'm done. Right. <laughs> this, is just, this is no way to run a railroad. Yeah. But you're, you're, <laughs> that's interesting. So, how did, I mean, do you remember how you even got out then at that point? Yeah, he eventually calmed his way down. He he got so worked up, it was frightening. And he calmed his way down, and I said to him, let me get back to you with more information. And I distinctly recall I never got back to him with more information. I, I was in my early 20s. It, it was, you know, you think you're the greatest thing around, and once oh, you're yeah. around, you're like, heck with them. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Yep. No, I, I hear you. That's that's. <laughs> so I, I'm guessing the lesson from that is um, – maintain composure i don't know i mean like like <laughs> well not only that but actually learn your stuff outside the script you know remember to compose remember to be human remember yes. to get both sides of the story that's a good point yeah your script is your crutch then if that's all that you got correct um yeah. interesting uh jake is there anything else that um that you'd like to share with with the listeners before we uh before we close this out for today I guess I would say that when it comes to dealing with people, it's I always hear a differentiation between, well, sales is different, and when I'm at home, I'm a different person. It, it doesn't have to be that on the conversational level. So what happens in the boardroom and in the bedroom have an amazing amount of similarities and a similar amount of conditioning. So I guess I would say that when you're doing sales or when you're approaching other people, don't think about what you're going to change. Try to keep the good things consistent. So, yeah. So my interpretation of that is basically the people on the other side of the desk, the phone, the text, the email, whatever it is, they're human too. They got kids probably. They got like some stresses going on. They got a mom. They got a dad. They got a sibling, whatever. They're humans also. Well, Treated. and to build on that just for a second yeah. is the reason we're seen as salespeople is because we condition them to see us as salespeople. Yeah. Part of breaking that conditioning is not breaking the way we communicate outside the workplace. Wait, wait, sorry, repeat that. Not breaking the way we communicate. Meaning Correct. don't treat so, them separate. Don't treat work communication as work communication and, and personal communication as personal communication. Just treat it all as communication and be yourself. Correct. Uh, that's, that's great advice. That's hard to do. It's extremely hard. It's it's really and, and there's an aspect of that where you need to kind of expose yourself personally because you're no longer in character. It's not like 
when you're a sales rep, m- many times, right? You're um, you're basically cosplay as a sales rep. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Never heard it put like that, but yes, that's right? absolutely like, accurate. Yep. And and so you know, we get to go into character as as a sales rep, and then to your point, like you're saying, basically that doesn't that doesn't help to right. do that. Because they're preconditioned to treat you the way all salespeople have conditioned them to treat you. You want to yeah. break that, you got to learn how to break the conditioning. Oh, man, that's that's fascinating. Can you give a quick tip? Um, I know we're out of time, but kind of curious to actually expand on that. Like, what is a tip that you tend to give, if, you, if you're okay sharing some of your secret yeah. sauce here, but... Sure. Um, to break that like how do you open if you're if you're a sales rep like what how do you show yourself because why else would you be calling right like i'm like how was your day right or what like how do you how do you open that can you share any secrets yeah one of the first strategies we talk about is getting away from hi how are you it's so tired and old and if anybody's conditioned not conditioned to respond fine or good yeah. You got to show me who that person is. It's a waste so of time. When a rep, that's the first thing they say. It's like, oh, sales rep, I'm good. What do you need? Not interested. So part of what we talk about is how do you get around that and break that conditioning? Because the conditioning starts when the phone rings, not when you talk to them. Yep, yep. That right? that knee jerk. Yeah, that that. Oh crap! Exactly. I got like how much time? I literally look at my watch sometimes. I'm like, do I want to pick this up? Do I not? Like how much how much time do I have? Exactly right. All right, Jake. uh, This is awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And and for those listening, we'll catch you on the other side. Thanks so much, Jake. Thanks, Thanks, Steve. It was great talking to you. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Be sure to check us out at www.excelogy.com. 